0: Father, we thank you that you are so willing to feed us with the manna of your word, the bread of heaven. And so we come to you today in faith. We come to you, O God, with what hunger you have given us. And we pray, O Lord, that you would feed your people, that you would continue to make us to see, that you would continue to make us to hear, and that you would continue to give us the courage to obey Lord, by your Holy Spirit. So, what we ask now for enlightened eyes, we ask for gracious hearts. And the Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts, of it. Father, may they be acceptable in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue today in our study of Ephesians 6, looking at the armor of God. And uh, today I want to consider briefly with you two more pieces of this armor and that is, the shoes of the gospel and uh, the shield of faith. And in order to give some helpful context to our study today, I want to begin by reading a passage of scripture that will be familiar to a good many of you. Um, And so if you have your Bibles in front of you, I'd like you to turn to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to use this as a backdrop for our, our study today. Revelation chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 7 to 17. John writes, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them night and day before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been uh, given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand. Well, I have to say that the narrative scope and the uh, the dramatic force of Revelation 12 is quite outstanding. It's a a lovely passage, and I think it's one of those passages of Scripture that we should keep near our bedside, and we should turn to time and again and meditate uh, therein uh, as a matter of constant attention. Revelation 12 reminds us, as that puritan minister, as I mentioned last week, Isaac Ambrose, he wrote, we are warriors as well as pilgrims. Warriors as well as travelers, Christ's church on is truly a militant one. We fight with the red dragon, and the word to those who dwell on the earth in Revelation 12 is woe. Because the fury and the wrath, the wrath of the ancient deceiver of the whole world has come upon us. I was reading really Luther this week, and uh, in his table talk, he says almost every night, Luther, did I wake up? And the devil's there. And he wants to dispute with me. That is, the devil, he slanders me. And he slanders God in my presence. And he attempts to turn my heart away from the word of God's grace. See, Luther lived in this reality. Luther lived the embattled life, and militancy was acutely close to him. And even though this modern age looks down its long modern nose with scorn at Luther's medieval sensibilities, I think Luther got it a lot more right than most of us do. You'll notice in uh, Revelation 12 that apart from the theme of militancy and the embattled life, there's also the theme of wilderness. The church, or the woman, that is, the people of God who have given birth to the Messiah, they're sent into the wilderness as a place of protection. Verse 14. The wilderness nourishes the church, but necessarily as wilderness, it's not a permanent dwelling. As I walk through the wilderness of the world, some of you will recognize the great opening lines of Bunyan's great allegory. And the idea of wilderness as the present location of the church helps to define what Paul means here in Ephesians 6.15 when he turns our attention to these important shoes for our feet. Remember Deuteronomy and the emphasis on those shoes that did not wear out in all those years in the wilderness. Which shoes here, in Paul's letter, are a type of readiness to move that the gospel of peace gives to us. Now many of us have been taught that this piece of armor, these shoes, are about evangelism. These shoes are about the capacity to share the gospel with our neighbors, and Paul clearly elsewhere he links feet to evangelism, to the proclamation of the good news. Romans 10:14. How can people hear the gospel without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And then he quotes Isaiah 52 how lovely upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who publish peace, who bring the news of happiness and salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. And so, yes, there is a link between feet and the publication of the gospel. It's what Paul did, after all, right? He, he walked for countless miles across the empire, and he gossiped the gospel, and he preached the gospel wherever his feet took him. And so must we. But here, in Ephesians 6, the shoes of the gospel and the readiness that Paul's talking about, the readiness that they give, have much more to do with the wilderness location of the church and the marching orders of Jesus than they have to do with the Great Commission. The shoes that the gospel equips us, makes us ready, they prepare us to march through the wilderness of this world and not to stay quiet. Like Bunyan's pilgrim, we are those who we stubbornly we we put our fingers in our ears right when the world is beckoning us to stay, beckoning us to make our home in this world. We put our fingers in our ears stubbornly. We don't look behind when we say life, life, eternal life, as we run through the wilderness with the shoes that the gospel of peace gives us. Shoes that will not wear out in the wilderness of this world. Because the gospel of peace that Paul's talking about here, the gospel of peace, it informs us of the kingdom of peace. It informs us of the city of peace, and it informs us of the king of peace. And the gospel alone makes us ready and willing to march. Just as Isaac Watts wrote, and some of you who've been in the church a long time remember this hymn, Come, we that love the Lord and let our joys be known, Join in a song with sweet accord and thus surround the throne, we're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We are marching to Zion, the beautiful city of God. As soldiers covered their legs and feet, writes Calvin, to protect themselves from cold and other injuries, so must we will pass on earth through this world. You see, the gospel is this, is the proclamation of a better country. The gospel is the proclamation of a city whose builder and neighbor is God. The gospel makes us fleet of foot towards our destination. The gospel prevents us from becoming lame and injured as we wander in the wilderness and in the mountains. And in the dens and in the caves, as we strive to be those of whom the world is not worthy, the gospel keeps us going forward, marching again with shoes that will not wear out. But how easy it is, how easy it is, my brothers and sisters, in this life to get settled, to become dissatisfied with living in a tent. I'm not much of a camper, but I can get pretty quickly sore and tired of living in a tent. How easy to become fed up with the reality of being a stranger and an exile in this life. Augustine writes, How long, you thick heads? How long, you thick heads, when you go on living like this, spending your lives on things you know you're going to have to let go of? You want to be happy I know he says, who doesn't want to be happy? But you're looking for happiness in the wrong place. You're digging for gold in the wrong place. It's not found here. You see, the gospel says to us, it's not found here. The gospel says, it's not found here. And it makes us to haste towards our destination to love this life as if we didn't love it at all. To use this world as if we didn't use it at all. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 Rejoice in this world as if you didn't rejoice. Buy goods in this world as if you possess no goods, and deal with this world as if you had no dealings with it whatsoever. For why? For the present form of this world is passing away. The gold is not found here. But this kind of haste, this Readiness to march only comes by fixing our hearts and our minds in the word of the gospel. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The gospel says, your life is not here. Your life is with the Lord who's risen. Your life now is above. Gospel shoes to make us fleet of foot. Well, the next piece of armor called this is the shield of faith. We'll see in verse 16. And the shield corresponds to the flaming arrows of the devil. Now, whenever I read Ephesians 616, I think of Ridley Scott's film Gladiator, which, by the way, I think is perhaps the most magnificent film that was ever made. And it's a treasure trove of quotables. Like when Quintus says, people should know when they're hungry. Maximus says, would I? Would you, Quintus? Would I? Or more to the point of that quote, where General Maximus looking at his dog, he says, at my signal, unleash hell. At my signal, unleash hell. And hell was this barrage of fire, arrows and missiles dipped in pitch and lighted on fire and sent towards the enemies a massive onslaught of destruction. Mm-hmm. Terrible scene. the danger of fire and warfare is that it spreads. The, de- the danger of fire and warfare is the way that it spreads. It's not contained. It moves quickly. And that's James' point in James chapter 3 when he says that the evil of the tongue, which by the way he says is lit on fire by hell itself, the, e- the evil of the tongue, he says, it will set the whole course of our life on fire. The devil wants the church to be lit with his destructive fire and the whole church, and without the proper extinguishing shield and shields, the fire spreads from one person to another. It's like Dan Green. The rock just goes on and on and on. And as you read in Psalm 78, how often the, the, the people of God, they began to murmur under Moses' leadership, the complaining, the back the ingratitude, but most of all, there the unbelief, the low thoughts of God, and the people of Israel that began to say, where's God? Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God give bread or provide meat for his people? And we read that Israel rebelled against God in the wilderness. They grieved him in the desert because they did not believe in God, nor did they trust him in his saving him So Even though Paul here mentions multiple darts, darts in the plural, Satan only has one kind of error for you. He only has one kind of temptation, and it's that word that he spoke to Eve at the very beginning, did God really say did God really say that you should keep away from this activity? Did God really say that he provide for you? Did he meet your needs? Did God really say that he's so much bigger than you could fathom that his power is available for you when you call upon his name in prayer? Did God really say that you should wait quietly for him to let him engineer your life, to let God open doors, to let God close doors, to do for you what you cannot possibly do for yourself. Hit God. Really say this. And see, these arrows of satanic doubt, these arrows of unbelief, these temptations, they turn us away from God and His Word. And when they hit us, they spread. They spread from our minds to our hearts, and then they spread into our actions. And before we know it, the engine of our life is being motivated and energized by unbelief. We're acting in unbelief before we know it. And when we do that, we go down destructive paths that we should never have gone down. And we hurt people. We should never have hurt. If our eyes had been fixed on God, we waited for Him. And we believed in His Word. And so the only antidote to these arrows, Paul says, is faith. The only way to quench doubt is faith. And what Paul means here by faith is to be intentionally fixed on the promises of God to say to ourselves and to say to the devil, no, indeed, God really did say what he said. So when the devil came to tempt Jesus, the Lord in the wilderness, the devil said to Jesus, did God really say? Did God really say that man shall not live by bread alone? Did God really say that he would give to you the end to the whole earth as your possession? I've got a shortcut for you. You don't need to wait. I can give it all to you now. I know you want it now. To which temptation the Lord responded, It is written. God really did say his word and his commandments and his promises are true. And my brothers and sisters, just like we spoke with the children today, when we submit to God and to his word, the promise is that the devil will flee from us and those flaming arrows of doubt towards the word will be quenched and there is no other way in this life to escape temptation except through faith. In the promise, when we vocally say to ourselves and we vocally say to the devil, God will do what He says He will do, God has said. Faith is nothing and can do nothing, writes Calvin, without the word. There's no point in trying to drum up faith without being fixed and hinged to the promise of God. And when these temptations come, and they will come every day, they will fall from the sky like a burning flock upon you. If you're not grounded in the Word, and looking to the Word, and listening to the Word, and cherishing the Word, then we have no shield. And then we have no faith, and the enemy will light each of us on fire who are not living like this. And once we are on fire, or potentially a threat to any of those around us as the fire starts to spread. But Paul promises us today that every, every single one, every flaming dart of the evil one will be extinguished if we hold up that shield of faith, which faith is linked to our look to promise. And so next week we're going to talk about the Sword of the Spirit the word. We're going to talk about the weapon of all prayer, which one of the Puritans calls the armor of the armor, which I love. We're going to talk about the practice of building our lives around the word and around prayer. But this week, I'd like you to do something. This week, I'm going to do some homework, as it were. When I was 20, I began a practice of praying through the 119th Psalm. I kneeled down in front of my Bible, and uh, from Aleph, to talk pray through that psalmist's prayer and I'd make the psalmist's petitions my own. And if you want to build a life of faith that looks to the command and looks to the promise, then begin praying through Psalm 119. I mean, if the prayer book of the Bible is being put there for us to pray through, Luther said if you haven't prayed through the whole Bible three times, you don't know how to pray. And if you desire to faith that that cleaves and clings to the word, then pray through Psalm 119 and cry out to God strongly and even vehemently with the psalmist. O oh God, how I love thy law! It is my meditation all the day, and it is all these things for me. It warns thy servant. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to thy word, O oh Lord! Let your word become part of me, and so I'm going to ask you to do that this week. find a chunk of time. It's a big song, it's a long song, and ask for the spirit of prayer and kneel down before your Bible and make the psalmist prayer your own. Once you do this week, keep doing it. Do it with your friends, as I've like done many times. Do it with your spouse. Keep praying through the 119th Psalm. I can't stress the importance of this enough. And God will answer your prayers. And God will build a shield of faith for you. He will build a shield of faith for you. And this shield of faith will quench every single assault of the evil one against you. It's my brothers today, shoes of the gospel. Fleetness of foot towards our destination, but only the gospel can be when it's in view. The shield of faith, which is linked to the word of God, quench all the devil's temptations each day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.